We're finishing up the second half of John 13 this morning. And last week, we saw the love of Jesus on display as Jesus washed his disciples' feet. This week, it is the knowledge of Jesus that grabs our attention. That Judas and Peter dominate these verses, but the main focus throughout is on Jesus and what he knows. And so with that in mind, let us open our Bibles and look at John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. John 13, 18 through 38. We're picking up with Jesus speaking. We kind of cut him off mid-sentence mid almost last week, but we are going to pick up Jesus is speaking these words beginning in verse 18. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You preserve for us us such intimate conversations between Jesus and His disciples. And I pray, O God, that these words of Yours might go forth. I pray, God, in great weakness that You would use me in spite of this raspy voice I've got today. And that You would help me to clearly and audibly share Your Word And that you would give us ears to hear. That you, O God, would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. That you would be strong in my weakness and in our weakness. So that we, O God, might know Christ more. In his name we pray. Amen. Here in the passage, Jesus is showing us what he knows, and he is sharing what he knows. So I want us to see that Jesus shares three pieces of knowledge in this passage that help us know him better, help us to believe in him, that help us, like he says in verse 19, that we would believe that I am he, that we would believe that about Jesus. So the first piece of knowledge that Jesus shares deals with our perception of negative circumstances. That understandably, we can sometimes see negative circumstances as signs of failure. And so if we receive poor grades on our report card, we may see this as proof that we have failed in our academic studies. If we have a stomach ache... We may see this as evidence that we failed to eat just a reasonable amount and had far too much pizza. If we are running late for an appointment, we may see that as a sign that we failed to get ready quickly enough. Jesus knows that we think this way about negative circumstances. And so he helps his disciples to interpret two major events that they will be tempted to view as signs that Jesus has failed. These two events are the betrayal of Jesus, or the betrayal of Judas and the cross. That both of these events could be viewed by his disciples as evidence that Jesus failed. But Jesus knows differently. And he shares that knowledge in order to help his disciples rightly view these troublesome events. And he begins by addressing Judas's betrayal noting that the promises of the previous verses that we looked at last week are not for all of his disciples. That Jesus knows whom he has chosen. Now, in one sense, Jesus did choose or select all 12 of his disciples. 
But in a deeper sense, he is saying that he knows which of the twelve have been chosen for eternal life. And Judas has not been chosen in this way. He goes on to clearly say, one of you will betray me. Jesus knows at this point that Judas has decided to betray him. But the other disciples, they don't know. They're looking around like, wait, one of us is going to betray you? It was shocking news. And the idea that one of Jesus' hand-picked disciples would betray him might call into question Jesus' wisdom and his divinity. Some might ask, did Jesus fail in picking Judas as one of the twelve? Is it a sign that he's not really God, that he can make mistakes since he didn't see through Judas's falsehood? But that's why Jesus is telling them this in advance. He wants the other disciples to know that he knows about Judas. In fact, Judas's betrayal is part of the plan because it fulfilled patterns of Scripture. That just as King David was betrayed by Absalom, Shimei, and many others, so also the son of David, he would be betrayed. And just as Shimei would eventually be judged, so Judas would also be judged for his betrayal, even though it only served to put God's plan into action. And so we see that Judas' betrayal is something Jesus knows about and does not throw doubt that he is a failure. But what it brings about is another danger. And that is the execution of Jesus. That in just a few short hours from when they were talking, Jesus would be arrested and sentenced to death by crucifixion. To the disciples and others in the ancient world, this kind of shameful death would be a sure sign that Jesus had failed to bring the kingdom he had promised. And so Jesus knows how people are going to view his death. So in advance of his death, he is telling his disciples that his death will be the moment of greatest glory. It is not his greatest failure, but it is the moment of his greatest glory. That's what we read in verses 31 and 32. Judas has left, darkness has fallen outside, and Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. The emphasis on now does not mean hanging out in this room together, but what is now set in motion, his coming death. And far from being a sign of failure, he says the cross will be the crowning achievement of his ministry. John Calvin writes that God's glory shines in all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than in the cross. That God is most revealed in the cross. His holiness, His justice, His mercy, and His love. We see it all on the cross. This does not mean the cross will be painless or easy. Jesus will suffer much in the coming 24 hours, but He knows that His death will glorify God. And He also knows that after His death, He will be glorified by the Father as He is raised from the dead and returns to His glory in heaven. Jesus said all of this before his death to correct his disciples' fears that death might be failure. 
that suffering does not necessarily mean failure. That for Jesus, suffering leads to glory. And nowhere is that seen more clearly than on the cross. So first, he's trying to share with us this knowledge that negative circumstances, suffering in this life, are not necessarily signs of failure, whether his or ours. The second piece of knowledge Jesus shares is that he knows the difference between who is fake and who is feeble. In other words, Jesus knows there is a difference and a world of difference between Judas and Peter. He reveals he knows what will happen with both of them. He knows about Judas's plans to betray him, and he knows that Peter will deny him three times before dawn. He knows that both of them will fail, but that their failings are different. As we read in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus loved his disciples to the end. That includes Judas. That Jesus had washed his feet. And even in the act of identifying Judas as the betrayer, he loves him. Jesus takes a tasty morsel of bread, dips it in something delightful, and hands it to Judas. It is a genuine gesture of kindness. Here, take this tasty bite of food. But as loving as Jesus was, Judas received the bread with bitterness. See, only Judas knew who the betrayer was because it was him. And in taking that morsel from Jesus, Judas was solidified in his hardened heart toward Jesus. His rejection was so total that we are told Satan entered into him. A frightening thought. Jesus told Judas to go and do what he was going to do quickly. Jesus had done nothing but love him. He had offered every opportunity for Judas to repent. In that moment when he gave Judas that morsel, that act of kindness could have led to a confession where Judas asked for forgiveness. But Jesus knew that Judas's mind was set that his heart was hardened. He knew that Judas was fulfilling the Scriptures, that someone close to him would betray him. And so Jesus allows this false disciple to pursue the path that he had chosen, even if that path led to perishing. And so Judas's betrayal is shown in its clarity, but it is also shown in contrast to Peter and his coming failure that Jesus had explained in verse 33 that I'm going to go somewhere without you. And he explained that while I'm gone, I want you guys to love one another. But Peter like, couldn't think about loving one another. He was so shaken by the announcement that Jesus was leaving them. And he blurts out, where are you going? Why can I not follow you now? Peter will not accept that there are things Jesus must do alone. He insists, I will lay down my life for you. Peter is likely assuming that some kind of confrontation with the authorities is impending. And so Peter boldly boasts that he would loyally follow Jesus and die by his side. But as well-intentioned as, Jesus, as Peter's words are, Jesus knows the truth. He knows Peter will not follow him where he is going. He knows that Peter is too weak to endure such persecution and shame. He knows that Peter will deny even knowing him on three separate occasions before the night is over. 
Notice that Jesus is not treating Peter the same as Judas. That immediately after Peter's first question, Jesus assures him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. He's telling Peter, don't worry. This is a temporary separation. You're coming with me eventually. You will follow me. Just not right now. Jesus knows that hidden within Peter's boasting is a true love and faith in Jesus. But he also knows that in there is a false understanding about himself. That Peter overvalues his own strength. And he denies the depth of his weakness. Jesus is thankful that Peter wants to be with him. And Peter will readily, or Jesus will readily forgive Peter, as we'll see in chapter 21. But he knows he's weak. Just as Jesus knew the difference between Judas and Peter, he knows us as well. He knows his own, whom he has chosen for eternal life. He knows who is merely pretending and cares nothing for Jesus. The other disciples could not tell that Judas was different. Jesus could. One commentator writes that what a difference there is between a true disciple who lacks the strength to live up to his or her faith and a false disciple who has no faith. Peter failed because he was too weak to act on his faith. He was not strong enough to lay down his life for Jesus, that Jesus had to lay down his life for Peter. And only then would Peter's faith be strengthened so that he could boldly live for Jesus and one day Peter would lay down his life for his Lord. So let us encourage one another to remember that we are weak. And we need Jesus to be our strength each day. Jesus does not despise those with feeble faith who are weak. He calls us to genuine faith. And He calls us to Himself to be strengthened and sends us forth for faithful service. So that's the second thing. Jesus is trying to show us that He knows us. He knows the difference between those who are fake and those who are feeble. And those who are trying to speak. So, Well, a major part of our faithful service is seen in the third piece of knowledge Jesus shares. And He tells us that a loving community is what best reflects His character. He just told His disciples in verse 33 that He's leaving them. And He tells them how I want you to live, that a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now this command sounds very similar to what Jesus said earlier in the chapter when he washed his disciples' feet. He said there, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And so that foot washing was an example of the kind of humble obedience that Christians are called to do, especially those Christians in positions of leadership. And that similarly, Jesus calls us to follow His example in loving one another. And that the example for our love is not just the foot washing, but the cross. 
Jesus says this is a new command. It is not new because no one had ever heard love one another. God had been clear about that before. It is new in the sense that there is a new standard. A new example. The cross. Where we see the love of Jesus. That sacrificial love that Jesus shows in His death. It is the new example and standard for how we are to love one another. That's what we saw in the New Testament reading from 1 John 4, where this same author writes that God showed us what love looked like. He showed us when He sent His Son into the world to be the sacrifice for our sins. He didn't do it because we loved Him so much. He loved us first. And that passage in 1 John tells us that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That in order for us to love like this, we need to be changed by God. And when we love God, when we love like God loves, we also show the love of God in our lives. We can almost see John in 1 John 4 thinking back to the upper room where Jesus said, love one another, as he's writing 1 John 4. Thinking back to Jesus saying those very words that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want you to hear this morning that loving one another is the defining mark of a disciple of Jesus. It is how people will know that we follow Jesus. Consider what Jesus does not say at that moment. He did not say that all people will know you are my disciples if you avoid these bad sins. He did not say that. He did not say that all people will know you are my disciples if you regularly attend worship, if you have a lot of Bible knowledge, if you vote a certain way, if you are a member of a growing church. He said none of those things. Jesus Himself tells us that the way people will know that we follow Him is if we love one another as He has loved us. Loving one another is hard, especially at that standard and that example. That loving someone is more than liking someone. Loving someone is more than agreeing with someone. Loving someone is a matter of the heart and the will. It is a choice. Loving someone involves valuing another person more highly than yourself and acting in a way that puts them before yourself. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. At a great cost to Himself. That's what He calls us to do for one another. But the good news is that Jesus knows that we are all feeble. He knows we are prone to focus on our failures to love one another. Jesus knows that we are sinners plagued by our own selfishness. And like Peter, we can tend to think that we just need to muster up the strength to lay down our lives and love one another. Jesus knows we're like that. And He still loves us. And He forgives us. And He wants us to know how deeply we are loved and assured of our place with Him. He tells us, I've chosen you. 
He assures us of this love. And from this place of being assured in his love, Jesus sends us out to go and love one another in the empowering strength of the Spirit. More than all the stuff that Jesus knows about our strengths and weaknesses, what I want you to hear is that Jesus wants us to know that we are known by him. If Jesus knew all about Judas, if Jesus knew all about Peter, then he knows all about us as well. Think about that. The God of all the universe knows you. And the greatness of this God who knows you is seen most clearly in His humble, loving sacrifice for you. That is where we see the glory of our God. And that love is to be received like a precious morsel of food. Do not reject it. Receive that love. Hear that Christ knows even the worst about you and your weaknesses, and yet He still laid down His life for you so that you might be assured of that love and get to follow Him into the glory where He is gone. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for the way in which You love us. And we pray that we would be assured of that love. That You would help us to repent of our weakness, to repent of thinking we are strong, to repent of our sins, and to look to You in our need of You. To know that You are so good and loving, O God. And we pray that by Your Spirit You would strengthen us to love one another. Help us to love those that are hard to love. Help us to love in ways that are giving and exhausting when it feels like we have nothing left. Strengthen us to do that, O God. And we pray that we would be seen loving one another, not for our own pride, that we might be proud that we are loving people, rather that You would be seen in us, that You would be more and more glorified. Lord, that's our prayer. We lift it up in the name of Jesus who loves us. Amen.